0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Ethicast. I'm your host, Bill Coffin. Earlier this year, at the 14th Annual Global Ethics Summit, we had a number of outstanding conversations with partners and thought leaders from across the board. And in this episode, we wanted to bring you one of those. Ethicast co-host R.T. Maharaj sat down with Pete Tomzak, partner at Baker McKenzie, to discuss the findings of a fascinating report jointly authored by Baker McKenzie and Ethisphere entitled, best practices in investigations, staffing, structure, and process in a post-COVID world. RT and Pete also discussed best practices in conducting investigations. It's a terrific conversation, and we think you'll get an awful lot out of it. So without further delay, here's RT and Pete.
1: Hi everyone, and welcome back. This is RT Maharaj from Ethisphere, and I'm back with another episode of Epicast. In this episode, we'll be speaking with Pete Tomzak partner at Baker McKenzie. In this conversation, we'll be talking more about best practices and in conducting investigations. And we people also share some insights from Ethosphere's recent joint report with Baker McKenzie on investigations. So Pete, it's so good to have you here. It's so good to meet you in person. As I was just
2: say it's great to be here in person in sunny Atlanta. I know. Atlanta.
1: Yes, yes, it is amazing. And I'm so happy that we can have this conversation and bring it to everyone. So with that, let's jump right into it, Pete. Yeah. First of all, before I I ask you the question specifically about investigations. Let's take a step back and talk a little bit about your background. Tell us about your practice. Tell us what's what's keeping you busy right now.
2: Sure. Uh, What's keeping me busy is compliance and investigations. Uh, I am the chair of the North American Litigation and Government Enforcement Group at Baker McKenzie, but most of my practice focuses on particularly cross-border compliance investigations. A lot more in terms of corporate governance these days about ESG and kind of seeing the confluence of that world of corporate governance and ESG with the compliance world as well. Mm -hmm both mm-hmm. in terms of investigations and the occasional litigation.
1: So we're going to try to unpack each piece of that here. Sure. Um, I'll try my best to keep it within a time limit. So with that, Pete, in your opinion, how has the investigated function changed in 2023? Do you t- think that the scope has expanded within the last year? Uh, what about its headcount and structure and what factors have influenced these goals?
2: Well, that is the, that's the tension, right? I mean, in terms of I think the goal of, of, the, of, the, of the function remains the same, right? It's creating value, managing risk, you know, particularly meeting the, the specific needs and compliance exposures of the, of the companies that are there. But the scope has changed, right? It's broadening mm-hmm. and particularly we see things being added, ESG being a classic example. Something that's now evolving and starting to look more and more as, as these ESG principles are enshrined in laws looking to the compliance playbook of saying, how do we comply with those laws, but also looking ahead, how do we manage that risk? What are the functions we have in place throughout the company to manage that? And I would just say also, there's been a proliferation, not only of substantive law, procedural laws, things like the European whistleblowing directive that are really impacting how investigations are done. And then the reality of now we are the stickiness of the pandemic of yeah. sort of continuing to work remotely or being used to as we're being broadcast live here, no, yeah. all sorts of platforms, different ways to communicate that companies are using employees are using customers are using, mm-hmm. but now how do you, how do you do that? How do you manage those risks? How do you investigate issues? Knowing this proliferation of data that's both within the company's Uh, information ecosphere and outside of it
1: too. And staying on that point, so data now comes the next question on documentation and retention. Mm -hmm. Um, This has grown very much in in, in importance in the workplace. Um, According to the Ethisphere and Baker McKenzie joint report, which is available on the Ethisphere booth and also Baker McKenzie's virtual booth, um, the report is titled Investigation, Staffing, Structure, and Process in a Post-COVID World. (laughs) Uh, 95% of employees said that the retention period of documents remained on Changed since the pandemic. What are your thoughts on this and how, how do new technologies, messaging apps impact this retention
2: period? Well, that's, I mean, I'm not surprised that the retention periods haven't changed per se, but what I think the complexity is is now when we talk about the word document, what do we really mean?
1: text message
2: and exactly we're talking now Mm -hmm. even beyond text messaging right so Mm -hmm. we had first we had documents then we had emails then we had text messages now we have even private communication networks and even ephemeral Mm -hmm. messaging right so different layers of complexity that may exist or not exist and then also you're talking about environments whether it be YOD or even companies that are now starting to go into this along with regulation now as as government enforcers Mm -hmm. law enforcement Regulatory authorities realize that the new ways to communicate aren't necessarily by email, you know, they're by chat, they're by functions, they're by teams, they're by things that are left behind or put somewhere that may or may not be there for a reason, good or bad, um, but then how does the company have, an, you know, have a process so that they can go back and review these and manage risk? And you're seeing the regulations, including from the DOJ in the United States, but also other regulators that are getting into that area telling companies, this is what we want to see from you regarding these types of messages and sort of implicitly in there as well, or sometimes explicitly document retention. I would also say that that's intention, again, with a whole evolving world, particularly now in Asia, regarding data privacy, data protection, employment laws, and the ability to actually go get that document, even if it is Within the company's sort of information industry.
1: and that's correct. And in South Asia, their law on data privacy yeah. is still in parliament, hoping that it goes through soon. Um, and that would be another a, another yes. one to deal with because it's modeled very much just like GDPR. So yeah, that would be a lot. Um, and just going back, just one one step behind on one point you mentioned in terms of messages and what we receive, and in terms of documentation uh, with the iPhone and different types of devices, you can now send all of these real-time videos and upload so it's not only just sending a a written text message you collect different types of data too right so
2: structured non-structured exactly how you see that yeah and that makes for real that makes for not only a real question of where is it saved how is it saved can you access it but even Mm -hmm. assuming all that how do you actually find that right? right because so much of the cost of an investigation in terms of managing it is getting through just these piles of data and particularly if they're unstructured data, how do you even begin to do that Sort of just reviewing every video or photo that's sent right. it's very difficult. So having strategies, looking at it, I know we use the buzzword AI in this mm-hmm. industry a lot, but having search strings, having beyond search strings, search methodologies and protocols, and all that, you know, helps reduce that, not only the, the cost, but also the time and the ability of the company to respond. And I would say also then thinking about that in advance or Vexante, you know, mm-hmm. How do we kind of, how are we managing what our employees do, knowing that, you know, sometimes rules yeah. aren't followed, unfortunately, right. yeah. but even I mean, having a virtual
1: setting, that can certainly be amplified, all of the different risks. Exactly, yeah. exactly.
2: And trying to do that and then making sure that we have a process that helps us try to, you know, manage risk. then on the back end using investigations is one of the tools. To again, look at an effective compliance program, but also manage risk once something happens. Yeah,
1: that's that, that's great. And staying on that topic of managing yeah. risk, let's talk a little, let's tap into uh, your approach uh, overall and your guidance. So again, going back to the report, the Ethisphere and Baker McKenzie best practices and In- investigations report show that uh, most investigators now have a background of HR, finance, IT, and there are a lot of conversations on leveraging additional investigative resources or staff from other functions uh based on your experience what have you found to be helpful to bolster training or guidelines to those involved in the investigative process especially with those with new approaches in mind
2: well first just to touch on the premise of your question i mean we talked at the beginning about value are we talking now about a world where money isn't as cheap as it used to be interest rates yes. are rising and and simultaneously we're looking at many times you know downward downward pressure on economic performance of companies going forward there's a real real not only just cost pressure but you know kind of yes, delivering right? value ultimately by the function of the investigative and compliance function of the company so looking at that premise and then now saying you know, can we leverage other existing resources we see a very clear incentive for people to do that. But you have you're exactly right that in managing that and managing compliance how you're actually conducting investigations again just citing one example of the European whistleblowing directive but you know making sure that the processes there if you have multiple touch points and inputs where a report can come in are people properly trained to do that you know so that they don't you know that they comply with that directive, that they comply with data privacy rules, that they are making an auditable trail, et cetera. All of these rules that come into play that when you typically think about the compliance and investigations department, they're probably aware of it, but that's not your only touch point where compliance is coming in. Compliance issues are being reported to. The other thing I would say is, you know, kind of leveraging it across these functions on the back end is trying to understand, okay, in terms of a root cause analysis which is one of the other issues that we explored in the in report, report with you but now as we look at that are we utilizing that data in a way to draw up lessons look at root causes also look at managing risk you know where is this stuff coming from and to really have a good picture of that you have to draw across hopefully what aren't silos mm-hmm. but draw across these different functions and making sure we're, there's some point of entry to manage you know look at it and review and i would also say final point Privilege, You know, particularly here in the United States, obviously very, very, very complex issues abroad as you go abroad, but still looking at it from a U.S. perspective, are we establishing the you know privilege at the outset? And is the company getting reports when they need to establish privilege, when they don't? And who has the expertise within the company or outside, if it's external counsel, to actually investigate the complaint?
1: Mm -hmm. And staying on that point, um, I just want to have a quick follow up. Overall, could you share best practices and just creating and modifying um, investigations protocols and systems uh, to adapt to the more hybrid hybrid and remote workforce Um, and one that can sort of meet legal and policy requirements and ensure quality outcomes and impart employee confidence in a process. I know, yes, you're laughing because it's certainly yeah. a loaded question here. A well, lot to unpack. But a, a lot to unpack, but I'm <laughs> laughing in the
2: sense that 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 is the complexity that most clients and external counsel are facing every day. And, and there's no real right answer. Obviously, it's going to depend on the organization, yes. the company, its mm-hmm. risk profile. A couple of things first is just starting recognizing that things have changed. Mm-hmm. I think actually looking into how are your employees communicating? I wouldn't assume also that they're using WhatsApp. I mean, what? maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but actually kind of getting at the ground level of thinking where do compliance issues arise and then how would we actually investigate this? Or are, we, are we looking at it? Are we routing these in the right way? Are we following the right processes? Don't assume because we have a policy that we don't, you know, you're not supposed to use X, that they're not using X. Um, that's a reality. You know, it doesn't mean you don't have a policy, but making sure that, you know, what's going on. I would say also, again, looking at this, this morass of data that can come in in an investigation, you know, how are we leveraging people that are independent? You know, can still maintain privilege and do an effective investigation, but may bring real value, such as internal audit, to really looking at things that we can get our hands on quickly. Things like metrics and numbers. You know, I Mm -hmm. always think about anomalies in the data. Mm -hmm. Why do certain metrics look this way? Why is someone incentivized to behave this way? Getting that at the outset helps streamline the investigation as well.
1: And it helps tell a complete story. No matter what you do. Well, Pete, it is great to have you here. Great to I be really, here. I really enjoyed enjoyed spending this time with you. Once again, that was Pete Tomzak partner at Baker McKenzie. Pete and I just spoke about best practices in conducting investigations. And he also shared, we also shared insights from Athensphere and Baker McKenzie's report on investigations, which is available in the virtual booth and online. Um, so feel free to check it out when you have a chance. Thank you all for tuning in, and I'll be back again for another Ethicast soon.
0: To download Best Practices in Investigations, Staffing, Structure, and Process in a Post-COVID World, please visit the Ethosphere Magazine website at ethosphere.magazine.com and search for the report by name. Once again, that's Best Practices in Investigations, Staffing, Structure, and Process in a Post-COVID World. It's available now on the Ethosphere Magazine website. I'm Bill Coffin, and this has been the Ethicast. For more episodes, please visit the Ethosphere YouTube channel at youtube.com slash ethosphere. And if this is your first time enjoying the show, please make sure to like and subscribe either on YouTube or on one of our podcasting platforms at Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon Music. And if you want to learn more about the many different projects and programs that are going on at in Ethosphere, including the world's most ethical companies, the Global Ethics Summit and our other events, the Business Ethics Leadership Alliance our culture assessment program, and our data benchmarking platform, The Sphere, then please sign up for our bi-weekly newsletter, Ethisphere Insights at ethisphere.com newsletter. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, remember, strong ethics is good business.